0: hello this is your girl carol benayas and this is the wake the fuck up movement podcast and i have the amazing jessica maranto here and even doroso and today we're going to be uh tackling a very uh sensitive topic which is white privilege and racism within races. And our hope um, today is to be able to change the narrative of it and being able to kind of shed light in a, a different perspective of how we can um, educate people to look at racism you know, as a thing maybe of the past. And I think as that amazing quote that I shared by Bruce Lee, under the sky and underneath the universe, we are but one human race and one family. So the the question that I have to that I want to pose to uh, both of you guys today is first, let's start off with white privilege and my kind of knowledge of white privilege, it, it was a term that was created by Peggy McIntosh, and she was um, a social uh, activist and scholar, and she said that um, for many people who don't know what white privilege is, is um, the ability for a certain race, such as the uh, white people, to have uh, advantages or um, benefits other than than the colored races. So advantages and privileges in the areas such as, you know, being able to to shop not um, and always being able to find something for them or even social media, they never have an issue with like saying, okay, there's a, uh, how come um, there's nobody on TV that looks like me or even with hairstyle, you know, the proper hairstyle. And just with, um, you know, when I mentioned shopping earlier, you're never gonna be able to, um, as you know, a white person go into a store and be like, you know, uh, I don't think that, I I think that person is not here to shoplift, you know, or even driving around in a rich neighborhood, you'll never get pulled over and questioned. You know, so there's certain privileges that are are there. And I just want to know what your guys' experience was in regards to uh, white privilege. So whoever wants to go first on that.
1: Sure, I'll go. Go ahead. Um, Yeah, thank you.
2: Really, um, when it comes to white privilege, so let's start by looking at the word white privilege. Uh, Let's define what we mean by that. Uh, The way I see it, think about uh, we, most of us, we go to the gym, we know what a treadmill is, right? So uh, think of the analogy of a person running on a treadmill, right? if you are a white person, the treadmill is working for you. Not to say that uh, you're not working hard enough or uh, you are not experiencing the same challenges, but whether to say that you are on the treadmill is running for you. It is easier for, uh, for a white person because they are moving forward in the forward direction of the treadmill for for black people the treadmill is working against us it's not to say that we were not working hard like the white person it's not to say that we don't have our own challenges like the white person but whether the treadmill is making it harder for us to go forward and so Privilege gives unearned advantages and disadvantages to certain groups. And to the extent that if you are a white male, Christian, straight, able-bodied, you are five times more privileged than than most. And so acknowledging privilege means not just owning the advantage it may give us, but also helping those who are disadvantaged, which means mentorship, sponsorship, advocacy for black people, both when they are in the room and when they are not in the room. So we see the issue, and many times we see a lot of people uh, that I've had conversation with, they Downplay the, that issue. I said, "Oh, there's no such thing as white privilege." They make it look like it's an allegation. Uh, they even make racism as an allegation. So it is. It is real. Uh, we've we've seen in many instances of discrimination, and uh, and I personally have been in situations where uh, where I've been told. Uh, I remember I was a uh, a manager for a large drugstore chain, and uh, one of the cashier uh, said to me, "Oh man, look at me. I'm white, and look at Ivner here. He's from Haiti, and he's my boss." It, it made me feel like you know, in the mind of that person, because of the color of my skin, I shouldn't be in that position. That only certain group should be in that position. So uh, it is something that uh, we go through every single day, and it is something that is uh, destroying our society the fact that some groups are more privileged than others.
0: Well, a, a question that I want to ask you because I, I, you know, um, when me and Jessica were in a room, I think it was talking about systemic. Um, racism, but I, when I was but another conversation I was having with my best friend and is in regards to inclusion in the workplace, because she's saying like she works in, um, you know, uh, predominantly male dominated industry, where the the people who uh, are are white seems to move up faster, you know, and they get more privileged. And like you said, uh, sponsorship and mentorship, Um, but then I posed to her is is that because people think that way that they're treated that way because i had uh, the same kind of ex i didn't have that same experience when i was working in the government world where you know i didn't think i was less than because i was a visible minority i thought i was equal so i never got treated that way i never saw that disparity i never Um, experience that racism, like sure I've seen certain things, but because I thought I was equal, I never thought I was less than, so I never got treated that way. So do you think maybe it's people's perceptions that need to change because what they think about, they bring about?
2: I do think people's perception need to change, and uh, there is a, there's education. I think people, I need to, I think we need to change so much in our system, in our institutions, uh actually teach people and educate people to understand these terms to understand uh what what it is uh, to uh to have equality among races and uh, this is one of the things that because we don't know and and sometimes to be honest uh the fact that some people don't know about these things, they may discriminate someone without even knowing because the divide starts from home and the things that we learn from home, we bring that to the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll talk about that in my book as well, as far as where the divide comes from and, and the motives behind the divide.
0: Yeah, and, and I think yeah, and I think that's uh, amazing, because I think that uh, word that you said there, education, is key, and I think Jessica has a lot to talk about that, because she was brought up, you know, differently, so can you kind of put your your experience in regards to white privilege and how you were brought up as a, as a child?
1: Sure, um, I think I was very fortunate, because I didn't grow up in a household that's um, supported discrimination in any way. Um, so and it's interesting because every single culture has some form of discrimination and you see it in society many times. And it's not that we weren't safe because we were in, we were in a city. So we were outside of Chicago where I grew up. And so any cautionary thing that my parents told me was always based on everyone. So you were just equally fearful of things in your life. It didn't have anything to do with race. It's just, there's people out there that are doing things that could hurt, harm you. So you had to be careful, but they never brought it up. And part of it was that my mom grew up in a suburban town that was very diverse in a small area um, with a lot of poverty and a lot of working class individuals. So um, many different cultures. So it was a lot different for her. Um, and then when she went to college, she, you know, was experienced so many other different individuals. So between that and the way that my dad was, um, and I don't know if maybe being in the military helped him as well, because they both had different worldly views on life and, um, they just had this and they continuously taught and still teach. Everybody should be given an opportunity and everybody should have a chance doesn't matter you're coming here and it doesn't matter what you have everybody has different unique talents and everybody deserves the benefit of the doubt first so you always believe people and you see the best in people first before you automatically assume something bad but a lot of the people in every different neighborhood and especially in Chicago there's a lot of race relation issues here Um, and I live in the city now so we definitely see that all the time and with each different culture people are offended by different things. Um, but I'm glad I have my parents background and it's not that each of us has probably had days that we were um, maybe, you know, gave in to society's little discriminatory things because I think everybody's human and we're all flawed. So we have to be gentle on ourselves as well as long as you're learning. And you're continuously acknowledging that you make mistakes and you're going to say things that are offensive to people and not know that they're offensive or be insensitive to someone culturally because you are still learning and you're not fully aware. And just because you're in your 20s or 30s or 50s doesn't mean that you automatically know. No one automatically knows, like you said, if they no one taught them, if they didn't come from a family, that valued that. Um, and that was open. So I think I was, I was fortunate and I'm glad that I was, but uh, it's still something that's challenging, you know? And I think I, we talked a little bit about, you know, the whiteness. I have very pale white skin, um, not quite white enough that I'm that very uh, pretty ivory looking uh, porcelain, but close enough that other white people tell me how white I am. And so when you talk about you know, just the color of your skin, I think a lot of people just refer to um, their discriminatory practices as one race against another, but you still have that. You'll see it in each different country. Um, they will be all of the same nationality, but people will still be discriminating against people either by skin color. We continuously try to divide each other and um we were talking about this the other day about those differences focusing on that instead of focusing on the things that we are together and all being one tribe because that's what we are we are the human tribe the human race and um I definitely yeah. I, I know we I, we've all had this conversation again so I'm going to stop talking now but uh yeah,
0: but I do want to ask you a question what did what was it about the way you were brought up by your parents that made the difference and shift to be able to kind of see everybody through one lens rather than the us versus them which separates you know um people from each other or ethnicities and races from each other so what specifically was that
1: um i think definitely we had we had many conversations um i my dad would talk to us about about those things uh we were pretty we were very open very honest. Uh, when my parents, even when it comes down to like uh, sexual orientation, uh, their first apartment, my parents' first apartment together, they lived um, in the home of a gay man. So back in the early 70s, and so that's the way I grew up. I grew up with people that were different than other individuals, and that was normal. So it was normal to have those people in your life. It doesn't mean that everybody's always going to agree with everybody's choices, but you learn to appreciate them. And as you talk to other people, uh, you learn to appreciate them as humans, instead of focusing on the things that are different. Um, I think kids are really, really cruel because they say things that are um, without, they don't think that there's anything wrong with just being honest and Sometimes they'll say things that are different, like, why is this person have that thing? Or, you know, if you've ever (laughs) tried to hush a child who sees something they don't understand and they're asking or inquiring about it in the world, if you don't take the time to talk to your child or talk to your friends when they see something different and stand up, like Yvnir had said, um, if you don't stand up for people that aren't in the room, Uh, to explain to other people what's going on or why something is the way it is and that it's okay to have that conversation, then people will not know and they will not learn to become that that's normal. And it is normal to have these conversations because in, in my personal opinion, everybody is some type of ist. It just depends on the day. You're racist, sexist, ageist, classist, something, and it happens and when you recognize that you are feeling some of these feelings or you're seeing this in yourself you have to d- redirect yourself back to why am i feeling this way and usually it's because you're insecure about something with yourself and so it's really easy to pick on somebody else based on their differences because they have something different than you or they have something you want instead of recognizing that you have something in you that you need to work on and I think that's the important thing. If I hadn't had many, many conversations with my parents and they hadn't um, taught me the way that they did and really appreciated that, we also were a family that um, my dad has a couple rules. One of them is food is for everyone. Um, so, you know, you always feed people. They were very, very open. Um, I would bring people home if they didn't have someplace to go. So it was always an open doors policy. What we have is meant to share and to give with others and not everybody's brought up that way. People, they want to keep things nice and I want to keep my things nice too, but what good is having something if you can't share it with other people? Mm -hmm. And that goes for your good attitude and any blessings that you have in life. So, you know, it's, I think it's better to be a family that would give the shirt off their back to somebody than it is to be one who lives up in the little castle and has the big boat and has all these toys, but really they don't provide any value to the rest of the world or they're not really sharing that besides maybe their pictures of their memories so that's just my personal opinion there's nothing wrong with any the way people want to live as long as they're not harming others but having that openness and understanding about other individuals, I think, was the most most significant part.
0: Yes, because I I think that uh, what is so important about um, what you just said and the reason why I want to put emphasis on it is because people who are parents today or people who have young children, you know, just to, if they're kind of, um, thinking about how they can better improve and also, you know, be able to debunk their confirmation biases about a particular race. like, okay, well, maybe um, I need to expose myself and my children to the different cultures to be able to to debunk what I used to think about a specific race. And, and and see that, okay, they're just like how we are. You know, we think people are different because of the color of skin, but at the end of the day, we all bleed the same. So I think that's really important that um, you share that so people can start to kind of see how they can make a change and how they bring up their children. And I want to go back to Edner, uh, because he said something uh, about with white privilege that is alive and well today. And there was, a, I was having a conversation with my brother actually, and he was telling me about this um. This, um, this thing that Coca-Cola had where they're giving training th- through their, their white and uh, employees to train them how to be less white so they can have a bit more empathy for people <laughs> who are not white. So I wanted to see what your take on that was.
2: See, uh, a lot of times people think that the individual is the problem. Uh, I don't believe that the individual is the problem. I think racist policies, racist laws, racist cultures, racist systems, that's the problem. And you see racism exists across four dimensions. Uh, there's personal racism, your beliefs. There's interpersonal racism, your behaviors. There's also institutional racism, what we call many uh, times, systemic racism, which reflect your organizational culture and then structural racism, which reflects our society. We cannot reduce the problem uh, to individuals because if we do so, we ignore the complexities of race. And we also obscure the four dimensions of racism. And it's not the individual person. It's the system that we have to fix. And the way we do so is by encouraging people to learn about each other. Because if I don't know you, if I fear you, it is very difficult for me to respect you. It is very difficult to Protect you, and let's touch a little bit on um, what we've what we've been seeing for the last generations and maybe centuries. Right, is police brutality, right? And the majority of the police officers policing these na- these neighborhoods, they don't live in the neighborhood. They many of them grow up learning that if someone has a dark skin that is a violent person so they grow up learning that so they grow up with that fear they grow up with that hate in in their minds therefore it is very difficult for you to protect an individual if you don't trust if you don't if you don't uh, um, if you don't love that person you cannot protect what you don't know. You cannot protect what you fear. So, and, and again, we have so many good officers out there. And the reason we still have that problem because we focus so much on the individual officer versus fixing the system.
0: But when you talk about the system, you know, I I know Jessica, (laughs) I had this conversation when we were uh, talking about systemic racism, and I think there's a lot of political agendas and, you know, structures that want to kind of fix racism, however, when they're going about it at in the the manner that, okay, I need you to fund my campaign so I can, you know, put this through or that through. And I know you said it's not about the individual, but I think with the individual at home, like just how Jessica was taught and how we are taught, if we focus on, every individual changing their internal world to know that it's not like a me, it's a we kind of thing. And that affects the household, the household affects the community and the community at large can affect the government. I think the grassroots movements at time is a bit more powerful than the laws that are happening because I think those are um, kind of cornerstones or they're, um, they're a catalyst to kind of implement different laws. I know if we've kind of put our face and in, in, in laws in the system where it's some of them it's not benefiting you know the, the majority of us how can we as a human race kind of put efforts towards changing that agenda
2: well the way that we can uh, remember we all make up the system right
0: mm-hmm.
2: and what we what needs to happen we need to uh, increase cultural awareness right and uh, i was watching a video uh that was done in miami in in the south florida area where they showed uh a haitian patient going to a hospital and um the way he was treated and the so the person uh pushing him uh so the patient was in a wheelchair and and they showed that so the person who was pushing the patient was like whistling, like making this noise. And, uh, and the son of the patient said, uh, please stop whistling because it is disrespectful to, to do that in front of elders, according to our culture, according to the Haitian culture. So there is uh, what we call uh, cultural sensitivity. We have to be aware. We have to be aware of building your cultural knowledge, enhancing your cultural skills, and also, more importantly, we have to expand our cultural encounters. Mm-hmm. If we, and, and and hopefully one day, uh, that is something that uh, that the government would would add to the public school system curriculum, where we can teach social justice. We can teach. Uh, The kids how not just learning math and science but also teach them how to understand their environment, to understand that everyone regardless of where they're from, whether they speak English with an accent like me, whether they have a different skin color like me, at the end of the day what's important is that we are all human. It's our job to understand each other and it's our job to understand that the principal essence of humanity is for all of us to, to coexist in a very peaceful way. And I think it is something that uh, we need to, to find a way to push our government who's supposedly working for us to have an agenda, to have a curriculum in our school system. Because at home, we learn the divide. And at school, we learn science and math. But at the same time, if we can learn science and math, we can be better citizens in this world if we learn to understand our neighbors, if we learn to be a brother's keeper, if we learn to to coexist with other people who don't look and speak and act like us.
0: Yeah, And what do you think about that, Jessica?
1: Um, I definitely agree. And with education or with anything else, if we're going to make changes to our government, because this is, their whole responsibility is for the majority. And since over 60% of the people in America are white, Um, they're going to be trying to do policies for the majority. And unfortunately, the way that we have our society set up, most of those lawmakers are white males. So they're not going to be as sensitive as other individuals because that's not their role. And it hasn't been that's part of the culture. Um, Like you were saying is, they're not even understanding the culture that they're representing. Um, So if we're gonna make changes, it it gets overwhelming when people start looking at all these issues and that's what they want us to do. They want us to get overwhelmed and say, you know what? Forget it, I can't do anything. I'm not gonna do anything at all. But that's the wrong way to look at it. Even if you're doing something small, make a small impact on yourself and it's like the butterfly effect, right? Or a wave going through the water. You'll see it keep going. Um, There's a little ripple in in a puddle or a pond things will keep moving forward and affect something else. So anything that you do to move forward, to educate yourself, if we all end up with the same goal of making changes to the way that the system is set up, there will be changes that happen. It's inevitable. That's what's going to happen. If you know what the end result you want, it doesn't really matter how you get there. It's not a straight line. It is never gonna be linear. So just kind of go with the flow. Sometimes you're gonna be going uphill, Sometimes you're going to be going to a forest and you can't even see where you're going, but just making those efforts to move forward. We do have to make permanent changes and larger changes to government the way it is. Even our legal system, it's ridiculous. You have to pay lawyers hundreds of dollars per hour just to get yourself out of a small minor issue that you get into when what they need to focus on is working on themselves and bettering themselves so that they don't keep falling into that pattern. But the lawyers are there and they're gonna keep collecting their fee and they do that first. And then they know the judge and they know the prosecuting attorney. They know all these different individuals. So they're all buddy-buddy because they play golf together and that's what they tell you, right? What type of society do we live on that we're, we have to rely on some guy who plays golf with somebody else to represent us, to get us out of trouble when we should be able to walk up there and say, I'm sorry, why am I getting punished more for this? So, you know, one of the things I I think I talked to you guys a little bit about that, when that first step act was, was being uh, worked on and I was working in Detroit, um, that was to help People, you know, um, not be prosecuted in jail the same way, not be stuck in prison for a long, long time and not have opportunities. So, the first step to getting people help, but there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you can't just throw the book at people and then not give them anything to get their way back out. The longer people are in uh, the system or incarcerated or continuously exposed to it the harder it is for them to integrate back into society because that's all they know is how to get into trouble. And they know that that's the attention they get. And then they're labeled and people are discriminating against them. And even people who you know, they don't even have, they make one little mistake, but because the guy before them and the guy before them and the girl before them and the person before them all happen to be of the same skin color. Now they're getting this discrimination based on other people that had nothing to do with them, nothing at all. And that's not fair. It's really not fair. And yeah, I don't know what you would what you think of uh, that. But...
0: It it, it's exa- it reminds me exactly of this uh, amazing book by uh, Malcolm Gladwell, and there was a specific. Um... A thing that he was talking about in the book where he calls it thin slicing so w- essentially what it was is that you know there from social programming social media we are kind of a and programmed to see a certain race as a particular way so talk about you know the, the african-americans so in the legal system he, he was putting together like how you know um a same crime and one that was um done by an african-american another one by a caucasian and the african-american had more time double triple A time because of his skin color and so what he was proposing that instead when you're putting people on trial that they have uh behind the curtain so you don't see the actual race or the particulars of an individual and so they can just be tried on the facts because i do believe there's so many factors that need to be done to eradicate how we look at racism i think first yes um, it, it should happen in the household yes the educational system and yes in the government but i think most importantly to be honest i believe it's in the household because if we put our reliance um on our our teachers and government and knowing that they may not um steer our children or children in the future in the right way then it happens it has to happen in in the household because if they don't perform or they don't kind of uphold what we see then we kind to blame them. Oh, I'm blaming the teachers. I'm blaming the government because they're not giving my child a good education, or they're not educating me the right way. And I think that's why the home, and I think that's why I was just stressing how you got brought up, Jessica. And you know what you were talking about um, as well. That it has to start with the individual, even though it's, it's so minuscule. But I think that will have a, a, a greater effect because we can change the mindset, we can change the perceptions. And then we can also come together as a community and talk about these things. Because most of these things, yeah, like, I don't think people are having these kind of conversations. But if we can enlighten them, then I think a lot of things can shift for for people.
1: I think you're definitely right, and I think that's one of the reasons why we talked about having this conversation in the first place, because we have to normalize talking about things like this, and people are very critical, and, you know, one of the arguments is, you know, um, white privilege, it may or may not exist, is this really true, and it's like, all right, so, you know, in all reality, every different group has privilege, but here in America, and in a, you're in Canada, and it happens in lots of different cultures. It's not just in America, but we seem to centralize these issues around American society and culture. Um, but it's it's true. It's there's there's definitely going to be privilege and other things. So yeah, you're right, it's not perfect, but this part acknowledge that it exists, acknowledge that we have a problem and it's okay to talk about and it's okay to be irritated and angry. You should be angry that these things exist because we want to have a better life for everybody or the majority of the people. And the majority of the people cannot just be 60% of a society. It can't just be 50%, 51%. We need it to fulfill that um, goodness for everybody as maximum as we can. So if we can get up to 98%, that would be awesome. Nothing's ever gonna be that perfect, but we can keep trying and keep moving in a direction where we focus a little bit more on equality for individuals and fostering support so that people can grow. Um, one of the biggest things that irritates me in workplaces is people saying things and um, about Black women that I've worked with and then not saying something to them because they don't wanna get them mad or they don't wanna criticize them. They don't wanna be accused of discrimination. I'm like, why? You're telling her she's doing a good job, but you're talking smack behind her back and you're not helping her be a better whatever position she's in. So now she thinks she's doing a great job, She's going through life with this false assumption that what she's doing is adequate. So when she's working harder to move forward, she thinks that's good enough. But you are criticizing her and not helping her see that if she did this just a little bit differently, then she could be more effective as a leader or as an employee, or as whatever role she's having, because you're worried about what she she might feel, you need to worry a little bit more about how you're going to help her be successful in life because she's Uh, An individual and obviously for women it's different than men but she'll she's a mother often so she's teaching her children, so she wants to teach them the best way as well. So having that feedback helps not just her it helps the other people that she influences and if she is a manager, she is guiding and coaching people below her and if she doesn't get that guidance to be able to do a better job she's guiding them inaccurately and we all, nobody's perfect, right? So we're all learning and we're all trying to do a better job at leading or following, listening and contributing. But if we don't get feedback from other people around us that's honest, then we can't do a good job and we can't help each other and get beyond some of these issues. And that I think is a really big factor in discrimination and um, that white privilege. In general, because people don't want to offend other people, and it's like
2: that's diversity
1: isn't easy. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm that's sorry, a, you no.
2: That's a very good point that you just made, and uh, and and I think there was hope. Uh, there was really hope uh, for our world uh, when it comes to the issue of um, uh, social justice and uh, discrimination and racism and and all of this. And one thing that I believe that. Uh, you know, all groups should do is to, is to speak out, you know, to speak out. Uh, you and I commend you uh, for, for that. And I appreciate you doing that when what you're doing in your community, Jessica, uh, having that conversation is because the more we keep having that conversation, uh, the more we are uh, creating awareness, right? you, we must speak out in this time. And uh, Dr. King once said, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And I posted that earlier uh, on my Instagram. Yes, we we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And if you are uh, uh, a white person, if you are if you're part of a social group that is, that is benefiting from the system, right? You, sh- you should use your voice. You should use your voice. Don't be that silent friend, you know? Be the friend that, that will uh, push the movement. Be the friend that will speak out and find your voice and educate yourself on the basic language of racial equity. Non-racist versus anti-racist. And, and many times you, 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 you hear people say, oh, I'm not racist, but not racist is not enough. I think we should be anti-racist, right? You yes. can say all day, oh, I'm not racist. Well, well you support the movement you support. Uh, uh, you you're happy to see that some groups are, are being mistreated. You are happy to see that uh, some groups are not living, the way that human beings are supposed to live. Therefore, you are part of it. Not saying anything doesn't mean that. You know you are not against it. Okay. So these issues, white privilege and white fragility and, and the difference between diversity and inclusion, equity and belonging, we, these are the conversation that we should have. And doing so, we find your voice and you can decide how much of a voice you want to be heard, of course, as an individual, but at least be part of the movement. Have that conversation. And that's how I believe it may not happen in my lifetime, but one day, one day we will have a much better world as long as we continue to have that conversation, as long as we continue to voice our opinion. And remember, it's not just enough to be not racist. We should be anti. Yes.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, because it's almost like, you know, when Jessica was saying, when, you know, you know, somebody's having an issue with another lady, like African American woman, but they don't want to say because you don't, she doesn't want her to lose her shit. But if you don't say anything, you're part of the problem, and not the solution. So you're kind of bringing back your, you know, uh, you're not doing anything to help facilitate the movement forward. And I think since we've been talking about white privilege, let's kind of take that a bit uh, further when we are taking white privilege into racism within races, because uh, there's aspects of like certain um, cultures where, you know, say specifically, I'm like Filipino. So in my culture, like people, I like being brown. I like getting tan, but it's almost like people want to be white. Like I see in Philippines, everyone that wants to dye their skin, they want to do whatever because they want to look more like the Caucasian because they want to be more accepted. So I wanted to see what your guys's view on that was and how you've experienced it in your particular race and how you
1: dealt with it. Um, I think that the media and television uh, definitely has a lot to do with that Um, advertising because they you see it all over the place everybody's you'll have all these different races and they all have about the same skin tone they're all different races but they all look about the same they're all darker than me they're all lighter than me but we don't know they're somewhere all about the same but they could be black or filipino or hispanic or you know maybe they're from mexico or maybe they're from who knows what country but they want this very consistent Um, skin color and maybe it has to do with the way that it comes off on a camera because that's the quality of beauty that they think people should have. And even for myself, I mean, uh, as far as being white is concerned growing up that way, you know, when my grandmother was like, well, we'd try to wear our long hats and our long shirts because they didn't wanna have a farmer's tan because that showed how much work you had to do. And even going back hundreds of years before paler skin was appreciated because it meant you didn't have to spend time in the sun they didn't have sunblock back then so if you were darker in color that meant you spent more time out doing physical labor instead of i don't know sitting around doing something cultural uh, that they appreciated in those specific type of european cultures Uh, so i think that's that's one thing i don't tan no matter what. So I would just burn, but my grandmother at least did. So she would always protect her skin to not look like she was working class people, you know, daughter of immigrants who came over and they were farmers and that's the life they lived. So each, each family, each culture has their own um, differences. And like I said, I've, I've always had people come up to me and I guess I didn't realize it. So when I hear people say, people want to touch my hair and people are always you know saying something about my skin, I grew up with other white kids doing that to me because I'm, I was I had strawberry blonde hair, I had red hair. Um, right now I have blonde, so <laughs> you haven't seen that, but because I had a, a color of hair that they thought was unique they always wanted to touch it, play it, see it. And so I didn't really realize that was a thing that other people didn't have happen to them. And that this was something because I was different that they were doing. And until, you know, thinking about it and hearing it more and more and more um, with people saying, don't touch my hair, (laughs) and things like that. So I didn't think anything of it growing up until now as an adult, it's such a big part of our society culture where people are constantly wanting to touch somebody else. And we have boundaries that we didn't have before. We, we've learned boundaries and that we can say, no, people don't have to do these things. But we didn't talk about that, I guess, when I was younger. So um, how about you, Yvonne? I think
2: all of this, uh, and, and you're right, uh, that, is, uh, that is something that happens in every uh, culture where, for example, I am from Haiti. Uh, That is still a problem to this day where uh, people, because Haiti was colonized by the French, right? So we have a lot of people who are very, very light-skinned. So there are some people, because they have a darker skin, they believe that they are inferior to the other people that are lighter-skinned. And it's all created by the system too. And this is why when we we, we have kids, we really have to teach them to, to learn to, to know who they are and to learn and accept themselves unconditionally and to know that they are valuable and to run their race according to their pace. So. And that is not a problem that, I, that, that I've had. So uh, people might think, oh, this guy, oh, he thinks he's so, he, he's so much. But it's not true. It's just that I believe that I am, I am good. I am awesome the way I am, regardless of my height, regardless of my skin color. And it is something that it is a job of of a parent. A parent has to do that because society will teach you to to hate yourself and other people. But if you do this at home, you know who you are. You're not going to have such problem.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And we all need to understand that we're not and never going to be uh, the same as everyone else. But all of us, we are uniquely created. Yes. And regardless of who you believe as God, but we are all made by God according to his likeness. Therefore, it doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter uh, if we, whether we light or or darker. And and again, that is a problem that we need to fix also in in our in our schools system, in our churches, in our in our youth groups. That's a problem that is a conversation that we also need to have as well. Mm-hmm. That we need to learn to love ourselves. Because it is, and I strongly believe that it is impossible to love anyone else if you don't if you don't have that love for you amen <laughs> if you don't have that love for you you cannot love anyone else loving someone else is a lo- loving yourself is a prerequisite of loving anyone else hmm. accepting Someone else, you should first accept yourself. There's, so when we fly, right? And the uh, flight attendant, put on your mask before <laughs> you put somewhere else's mask. So we have to be able to do for ourselves first what we want to do for someone else.
0: Hmm.
2: Okay? And you cannot give what you don't have
0: have you been listening to my other podcasts <laughs> you know, <because> well. <laughs> that's the same stuff i've been like actually talking and preaching but i do want to kind of talk about something that it just kind of came up it was that that concept of a lot of what you know people talk about not being black enough and saying like you have the mulatto, you know, uh, people where they're like, okay, they only um, represent the the blackness of the side of them, but they don't acknowledge the white. And I want you to, can you just kind of talk about that? Cause it's almost it's something that came up and I think it should be discussed.
2: You want me to talk about it? Sure. I, Yeah, yeah, yes I will. And, and again, it's all connected to, um, to what we learn from our society, right? I'm not black enough. I'm not white enough. Why does it matter? Why? That's the key question.
1: Mm-hmm. And Actually, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That is <laughs> I, was gonna the say question. I wanted to share something out of your book, though. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, please. So there's two things, and I've been kind of saving these because, uh, so I've been reading his book, and it's called A Like Regardless, and it is coming out in August, so I'm really excited for other people to read this book, because I'm reading it going, gosh, I agree with this, I agree with this. And um, one of the things that you said here was, um, let's see, if you don't love yourself, you will be hard-pressed to do the same for others. If we don't know what we look like, we won't realize that others are just like us. Therefore, the first step is to improve ourselves inwardly to treat ourselves better. This way we can express that change outwardly towards our fellow humans." So I thought that went right back to what you were saying and then wrapping that back up that you really do have to love yourself. Um, And then there was another section that I thought was really significant out of your book um, that, said, if we truly have understanding, it wouldn't be difficult for us to figure out that the rightness or wrongness of a system lies in the quality of life of its citizens and not in the similarities with ours. Mm -hmm. Surmounting divides will require our realization we must not police people into being similar to us. We must see the good in our differences. And I love those those two lines, particularly, because you're right, and we do need to um, see the good in our differences, and we always want people, uh, especially when it comes down to diversity, they want diversity in color of skin so that they can have United Colors of Benetton on a poster and say, we're inclusive. But they try to pick people that have very similar belief structures so that they don't have that shifting divide and true diversity is difficult because you want to have people that are different not just looking different but have different experiences have different viewpoints and it gets rough have different communication styles so you need managers that manage that that's their job their job is to help bridge the gap so they can help their employees and their workers and their teams contribute and work together because it's difficult for them to figure out how to communicate and that's why management is so important training those managers to be able to help and that diversity isn't just a skin color thing or a nationality thing it's about us as individuals and how different we can be so I hope that helps
0: those were actually really beautiful uh, uh, written uh, words by you, uh Nair is beautiful. And I think, you know, you mentioned something that's key. Uh, why does it even matter, <laughs> you know? And I, why does it even matter? Like if you're black enough, Filipino enough, white enough? Because I think essentially at the, at the end of the day, I, I think it all comes back to what you were talking about, what we're all talking about. It's an inside job. You cannot give what you do not have so if you don't love yourself you can't love another and i think when you um have that compassion for yourself you can only then extend it to other people and how boring would this fucking world be if all of us were the same and we need that diversity we need that color just like how we experience the spectrum of emotions from you know the depth of sorrow to the ultimate bliss you know we should be able to experience other people in all different colors in that manner yes so for you guys, what is your number one um, thing that you can, an action item or a words of wisdom that you can share with the people listening that they can start to uh, eradicate and shift their perspective on you know, white privilege and racism?
1: Kip did you wanna start? Go ahead. Okay, so for me, I would say to look inside yourself um, and really start examining what you're doing don't just get upset so i working with different nonprofits or social justice organizations you'll notice they get people really really riled up because they want that energy they want that energy of anger and they say that that's going to create a action well it does temporarily that's the problem it's like fire it's easily extinguished um, you can see it travel really fast and it looks really big but you know even forest fires They don't necessarily always get all the trees. You just see these, you know, the grasses are gone. So in order to actually move forward, you have to start looking at yourself. And if that you have that anger, you need to say, okay, great. I have all this energy inside me that wants to do something. So even though I'm angry about it, I'm going to put that anger aside and I'm going to channel it into something positive because positive change is what's going to be lasting and what's going to move us forward continuously. So that's um, that's something that will always go and it, it may not happen in your generation. So stop worrying about quick fixes that are going to be really exciting and really fun. And you're gonna make your mark. You're probably still not getting in the history books. So that shouldn't really be your goal. Just work on it and help other people when you get that, that snowball effect of that momentum moving forward and positive change, it will be lasting. And it's a lot harder for somebody to come with a fire hose and put that out. So I'm Jessica and that is what I think you can do.
2: <laughs> See, I think, um, which is the premise of my book really is for us mankind to, to know the reason we're here. What's our purpose here on this earth? And is our purpose to continue to divide? Is our purpose to continue to fight against each other or to fight for each other? This is why I said, I talk about the principal essence of man is to preserve the existence of the entire living race one cannot preserve their fellow man without hanging on the the dictates of goodness love peace for every man who exists he must ensure that he does not exist alone he must ensure that he is not an island and that he works towards ensuring that his fellow man is preserved in existence as much as he is this is the primary essence of men and just to give an example uh, when I watch the the George Floyd video and there was one time I watched the video it broke me so much and when the guy was calling his mama and he's saying I can breathe I'm calling my mama And if you are a human being, and again, it's and I think it all comes to, racism is is not just a simple thing, it's also a disease, it's also a mental problem, right? If you know, as a human being, this coming out of your nose, you need that. You need every bit of it for you to, to live. Now, someone else, another human being, is crying, is, is, is crying for it, is, cannot have it. You stop him from having it, and you then give it to him. He was given that breath of life by his creator, and the same creator who gave you yours, and he is crying for it. Is asking for it, and you don't find the need in your heart to let him have it. It's wrong. It's sick. So, the premise of my book is love. If we love one another, if we find a way to love, One of the, regardless of the way we look, regardless of our gender, regardless of who we love, who we choose to marry, all of that, none of it matters. At the end of the day, we are all human, regardless. Mm. And this is the message. This is what I hope to accomplish. This is what I want the world to realize and hopefully and together we can build a better world. When we know when we believe deep inside of us that the only race that there was only one race, and that is the human race.
0: Beautifully so
2: much. uh, Carol, thank you so much, Jessica, for having me in the space. And I love the conversation, and I hope that we will continue and encourage others to have that conversation.
0: Yes, because and, and, this is where
2: we're gonna find a solution to the problem.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, and then beautifully said because at the end of the day, we can't be passive recipients of this this earth. You know, we live on this earth; we should be stewards of this earth and every single being. In, in inhabiting this earth, so rather than looking at another race as a thing, because we look at another race as a thing, then then that's why we we don't have feelings for if that person can't breathe. But if we look at each other as brothers and sisters, as part of this whole family, as part of this whole human race, then we can have that sense of empathy and compassion and care for one another. So when you see something wrong happening, don't be quiet, you know, say something, speak up and, you know, be part of that solution rather than the problem. And for Jessica and Evener, how can people reach out to you and connect with you?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So you can find me, um, I have a nonprofit in Chicago called Solo Housing First. So you can uh, go ahead and go to the website. S-O-L-O-W housingfirst.org. And uh, you can find me um, uh, also if you search my name, Jessica Moranto. <laughs> online Chicago, I'm sure you'll find me different social media, but uh, you can connect with me there via email. Thanks so much.
2: You can find me on my website, Ivneadoroso.com, which is basically my hub and also social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I am also on the clubhouse. Uh, I spend a lot of times on the clubhouse uh, listening to people and add value. Uh, I am in all these spaces, uh, but mainly my website, evenedroso.com. Uh, uh, that's, that's where you can find me. You can send me a message or send me an email uh, through the website or message me, DM me via Instagram or, or, or Facebook or Twitter. And I'm happy to have that conversation and ha- I'm happy to, to collaborate and, and put my voice together with those who want to be part of that solution. Because I think silence is also uh, complicity.
0: Yeah, And I just want to thank you, Jessica and Ivnar, uh, for your amazing conversation. And hopefully this will spark, you know, the fire and move people forward and be able to change their thinking and change the way they treat others and come together and just love because at the end of the day, that's what we need to do is love each other. But first, we need to love ourselves. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you everyone for listening and watching. Much love and peace out. <laughs>
1: Bye. Thank you, Carol. I do know. I do you know. I know.